Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines, casual Friday edition. We're here to hang out. We're here to chill out. We're here to have fun. We've made it to the end of the week, and I don't know about you. I'm ready for it. Certainly, I have a lot of work to do even after this episode of Hangouts and Headlines, but we're careening towards a very fun weekend. I hope you've got a fun weekend planned. We've got Lawyers and Dragons back tomorrow doing the whole season thing, not on a break anymore even though I think it was a very fun break indeed. And we've got some fun things to talk about today, which is about the nature of artistic freedom and what we're looking for from our television and movies and, heck, video games, maybe. We don't do a lot of historical fiction video games, maybe Assassin's Creed. And what we're looking for from those products, whether we want something that ostensibly tells us something real about the history of these people and what they went through, or whether we are more concerned about it being dramatic propulsive, the kind of thing that you're used to seeing if you are watching a drama on primetime TV or a soap opera even. Uh, and certainly the artists behind these things seem to think you want one thing or the other or seem to think that you want a certain amount of propulsiveness. Uh, and we'll talk about that in connection with two Netflix properties. One, The Crown, uh, which is coming back for season five next month, as I understand it. Uh, and two, a movie that was released a little bit ago on Netflix called Blonde, uh, which is ostensibly about Marilyn Monroe, but also not, uh, and which the artistic vision behind disclaims reality entirely uh, in order to make this show that they wanted to make. So we'll talk about those things. I think it's a fun conversation. Mostly I'm just interested in hanging out with you all, chatting on this casual Friday. We had a wonderful conversation about uh, sitcoms yesterday, uh, which I really thoroughly enjoyed. Made me want to watch a sitcom. Uh, so uh, I started up doing that uh, a little bit yesterday, and uh, let's see, maybe you'll convince me to watch The Crown or Blonde here after this conversation. So, how's everybody doing? Where are you all hanging out from? Are you having a good morning or whatever time of day it is and whatever time zone you're in? Tell me about yourselves. I love to hear from you. Christine says, hi, everyone. Hi, Christine. Smiley face emoji. We're happy to have you here. Um, I always found the disclaimer at the beginning of Prince of Egypt to be effective, of course, that will depend on your view of the event, says Rusty Robots. Now, I'm trying to remember the disclaimer on Prince of Egypt. It is something along the lines of this story is a part of the religious experience for a whole lot of people and appears in like the Bible and the Torah uh, and the Quran. I think it's it, it's got references to a whole bunch of things, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but uh, I don't I can't speak to it specifically. It is a disclaimer that's from a movie that came out in like 1998 or something like that. 97, maybe. Uh, so I apologize for that. Britt with a super chat already. Thank you so much for the support, Britt. When I say more factual, I only mean if it is supposed to depict reality. I think it can be 100% non-factual if it's an alternate reality, like the U.S. did not enter World War II and use all those world leader names. Yeah, alternate history, I think, is its own thing, right? Um, and, you know, one of the tricks that I actually find pretty amusing, if you think about a movie like Inglorious Bastards, um, and you think you're watching something that is at least slightly historical, and then they go off completely on your own, and you realize it's a complete alternate history at the end. I think it can work. I think the issue is, right, the gray area. Like, we're presenting something. We're using the names of the real people. It's relatively modern. Like, it's in your memory. Uh, so the crown has this uh, significantly more than blonde, but we'll talk about blonde as well. The crown, apparently, season five is going to go into the 90s. Right. And I remember the 90s. I'm old enough to remember the 90s. Uh, and so one of the things we will see here is that Judy Dench 
sent a letter into the Times uh, of, I think, London. Uh, and that letter is basically, this is unacceptable, uh, that you can't do this without a disclaimer. And the Crown doesn't have a disclaimer and has resisted uh, the urge for a disclaimer. And I had a conversation with co-counsel and uh, said, you know, did you know exactly how much of this was fictionalized? Um, and uh, that conversation led me to have this topic, which is, well, I don't know what people know. The artists say, oh, of course, everybody knows that we're making fiction out of this. It's like, no, everybody knows you're making a drama out of it. And to me, there's a distinction between, all right, we squeeze things together to make a plot line. Uh, we kind of made things work a little bit more so that we could fit things into an episode um, and like complete fabrication of events in order to add drama, right? So if you're telling the story of, you know, I don't know. I've seen a lot of movies, for instance, on uh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis or the Battle of Midway or things that I watch that tend to be based on real events. Uh, and uh, they are often very dramatized. You know, you can watch, I think, three or four movies on Midway, for instance, and you can see different variations of how they treat it. So the, the 1960s movie Midway is like a TV movie soap opera type thing. Still still good. Uh, and hopefully you can detect that that is, in fact, the case. Uh, Torah, Torah, Torah tries to be a little bit more militaristic, watching those kinds of things and how that battle played out. Um, and then the most recent Midway from like, I, I want to say Ronald Emmerich, um, is quite good, uh, but it has a lot of different notes and beats than the other versions that I've seen. So it's 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 the nature of things to want to have, if you're going to have a historical battle, you're going to have something that actually happened to try to get to the truth value of that particular content, I think, even though uh, the artists tend to disagree, right? So if you look at the poll right now, we've got 150 plus votes. Uh, almost everybody says factual. I want it to be reflective of the thing that happened, if you're going to use those names. And we'll also see one of the actors in The Crown compare their show to a clearly fictional show in HBO's Succession, even though you can see that Succession is based in part around the notions of the Murdoch family that owns the, the Fox assets, right? Rupert Murdoch, his clan. Uh, and yet Succession has a media company in it. It's not called Fox. It has a family in it. They're not called Murdoch's. Uh, and you can do that, I think, just fine, taking inspiration from real life. Nobody thinks that succession is the real life true story of what happens with the Murdoch clan. And I think that there are people that think that the crown is, is a depiction of what actually happened. I don't blame them. It's a very highly produced show that claims to tell the story of Queen Elizabeth and her family. Sue Lillard. Good morning, Sue. Greetings from Granville. Having coffee in my gaming dino mug. That is awesome. Love green heart. Love green heart. Love green heart. That gaming dino is very green. He deserves all those green hearts. I hope you have a wonderful coffee in your gaming dino mug. That is sweet. I have uh, I've ordered one. You have one before me. Uh, so that is fantastic. Ah, totally Jersey. Good morning. Listening from my phone while I get some coffee from Chile, Ohio. It's chilly everywhere up here, isn't it? Yeah, it's getting cold. Also, I'm in Ohio, but are we sure it's morning? Nope. It's getting real dark too. Just wait till we have uh, the end of daylight savings, right? Gonna fall back. Uh, agree with Brett. Historical fanfic is fine, but stuff claiming to be historical accounts needs to be accurate. I think there's some leeway, but the complete invention of events is a problem. Just because, thank you for the super chat. I really, really appreciate it. I'll say the same thing as for book adaptations. Go far one way or another. Either make it true to the original or make it ridiculous enough that it's super fun. 
Yeah. I don't think there's any problem with, okay, Queen Elizabeth is now half robot. The Nazis survived World War II and are now insidiously planted around London and England, and she has to fight them off with her bionic robot army. That is distinct from what the crown is trying to sell. It sounds a little bit like a Doctor Who episode, honestly. Um, so I think you can't absolutely go far enough that it's obvious to, to most people, at least. I worry for the folks to say, wait, did Queen Elizabeth really have a robot uh, army? Uh, no, no, she didn't. Uh, Kelly C., there was a video by Jamie French the other day about a Britney Spears biopic, and they did things like make up a Britney and Justin Timberlake non-family friendly tape. Yeah, I mean, at least at minimum, I think that means a big disclaimer that says we fabricated events in order to make our points or to sell the message or that this is about whatever we're going to talk about, you know, Kim Kardashian uh, through Britney Spears, whatever that might be. Uh, Stephanie, I mean, if the Prince of Egypt needs a disclaimer, if it doesn't agree with those holy books, then the Bible needs a disclaimer, work of fiction, graphic content. Oh, OK, bring in the heat this morning, Stephanie. Oh. <laughs> uh, I think the Prince of Egypt does have that. This is a part of the faiths of, of millions of people around the world. I think that's something along the lines of the disclaimer at the, prince, at the top of the Prince of Egypt. Uh, that was so cool. I just got here and I got recognized. Awesome. Mrs. Hogue, hi to greatest co-counsel. That is. One of my buddies gave me a funny story yesterday that uh, they, were in the, they were in the grocery store and someone yelled out virtual legality to them because they were wearing a reasonable minds can differ shirt. It's getting weird out there, folks. Um, it's getting weird. Disclaimer, based on real events with some artistic flourishes. I think that would probably be sufficient. I, it, the question is, is how far you go with like just lies. Um, and that's that's one of those. Oh, here's Prince of Egypt. The motion picture you are about to see is an adaptation of the Exodus story. While artistic and historical license has been taken, we believe that this film is true to the essence, values, and integrity of a story that is a cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide. The biblical story of Moses can be found in the books of Exodus. Um, so yes, I think... I think it's a good disclaimer. It's a solid disclaimer. Prince of Egypt is an awesome movie. I highly recommend it. I really, really loved that one. Um, part of the problem is that so many people who believe the most inane things. The disclaimer is for the 90% of people who won't bother looking for the facts. Well, I don't necessarily blame folks for assuming that most of what they're looking at is reality, right? So it does become a kind of spectrum of, well, how far can you go, right? Because to me, if you've got a series of events and you're going to hit these historical milestones, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, and you have some conversations that you know occurred, but you can't possibly know the dialogue for, uh, I, I think you can dramatize that and say, this is what we know about their positions. This is what they were probably looking at when they were talking to each other on this topic without having kind of like a, like a little bug in the corner saying, we don't know this to be true. <clears throat> that said, if you completely invent things, um, like we'll see Judy Dench at least references, and she's got a problem of her own, which is that this series isn't out yet in terms of season five. Uh, and so she has things that she says in her letter that it's like, apparently, right, based on the trailer. And we all know what trailers can do. So it's, it's an open question. Uh, everybody is kind of jumping the gun a little bit. Uh, but I certainly am in the boat that says artists may be going too far. Uh, and that we'll also see with respect to the blonde interview we're going to talk about today. There's like a complete abdication of responsibility. Who cares? It's just a movie. But what about reality? Who cares? That kind of answer. Uh, and I think that is the kind of answer that we should at least 
uh, look askance at, right? That when we're evaluating somebody saying that, we should hold their feet to the fire at least a little bit and say, well, okay, this movie is going to be popular. You, you, you spent money on it. You're marketing it. You're on Netflix. Um, you should at least be a little concerned that this is going to frame the life of Marilyn Monroe in a specific context in people's minds and that that could be deemed disrespectful to a real person that walked this earth and their next of kin. Uh, and I, while well, I, I'm entirely in favor of artists doing whatever they want, I do think that you can look at that and say, yes, I should at least be cognizant of the fact that I could be changing history as people understand it and that we want artists to be worried about that. <clears throat> Kelly says, when I watch a show, I already assume they're going to take artistic choices. If I want to know the real history, I'll research. Well, and that's one of the that's one of the issues we get from the artist. We'll get in the interview, which is like, well, nobody knows what happened. All the history is modeled, so I can do whatever I like. It's like, hmm, don't know. Don't know. Uh, Sarah says, they are having a meltdown in, English, in England press and KC3. They're trying to erase what the couriers and the press did to Diana. They loved the first seasons. They have been trying to get rid of this season. Yes, certainly I would imagine if we're heading into the 90s, it does not reflect terribly well in the press. Um, but Judy Dench has a slightly different angle on it. So we'll see it in just a minute. I'm from the UK, says Aaron. I haven't watched The Crown for the reasons that I'm not interested in dramatization loosely based on facts, but I am biased as a historian. This makes sense. I want facts. Well, the problem is, right, it, we've got dramatic at only 6%. But artists really are faced with this problem, which is that <clears throat> life as it is lived, as it actually happened, isn't very linear. You can't really find character arcs necessarily unless you compress time a lot, right? We're all growing. We're all building. Hopefully, we're all getting better and not worse. Uh, but the events that happen to us are at least somewhat random and outside our control and, and consist of reactions to what we can do in response to those events. And those don't always make the cleanest episode of television. So I agree with you, Aaron, that I expect a certain amount of um, dramatization, uh, but I would prefer the facts as well. I don't know that you can just put a history book up on screen and have people really engage with it. Uh, Jordan says, I need a balanced response. Like Narcos is a good example of balance. I haven't watched Narcos, um, but... Uh, yeah, I can think of instances where they appear to be doing a better job than a worse one on at least trying to have something like plausible verisimilitude on the history of what actually happened. I also like it when uh, movies at the end say, hey, we showed you this drama. We put it. We put a note at the top that says this is fictional. It's based on real events. And then we put a note at the end that says this is what actually happened. Right. Um, you know, that like this occurred, this occurred, this occurred, and this occurred. In this conversation, we could have brought in an article on uh, the, the Boz Lerman Elvis. And I think that one's interesting because they had conversations about that. They had taken dramatic steps to tell a story. Now, to me, what's interesting about that is that Boz Lerman's directorial style is already so dreamlike and ridiculous and weird that it's patently obvious that you're not seeing a real-life version of the events of Elvis's life, uh, that it's all framed around telling a very specific kind of story. And, and Blonde could maybe get away with that as well. Uh, but uh, I, to me, the, the actual interview answers and the things that just flatly didn't happen are, are stronger uh, and more concerning in Blonde. Reasonable minds can differ on that. So we'll talk about those when we get to that interview. Uh, the Godfather, the most accurate documentary ever made. Yes, I remember that time Al Pacino took over the streets of New York. Then later Vegas. 
the royal family has enough drama as it is. They could keep the show dramatic without creating fictional storylines. The royal family has a lot of drama. That's how the show kind of starts, right? Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know what's in season five. I don't know any better than Judy Dench what's in season five. Uh, but there are already complaints. Britt, here with another super chat. Oh man, I cannot think of Tora, 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 or Midway without thinking of Bob Bob Black Sheep TV series. I have not seen that show in years. I should go look for episodes. I don't know that show. Did they do stuff on Midway? Midway's always been one of the kind of classic battles that I have been interested in from a military history perspective. Um, and so I've watched, I think, all the movies on it. Maybe not all. You never know. People are always making movies about historical events. Uh, but I've certainly watched the three that I referenced just there. Matthew says, I feel like you, something if it's not factual, if done respectfully, there's a new film about a terrorist attack in France a few years ago, would be less interested if it wasn't factual. Yeah, you don't want to be led down the primrose path, right? You don't want to have something that has all the look of what actually happened, but that is actually the dream of some director or set of writers somewhere and doesn't, doesn't help your understanding. Because the question is, why are you watching this? Why are you watching a movie that is based around factual circumstances, if not to get a greater insight as to the background of those factual circumstances? And to the extent they go and make things that are completely fictionalized, you don't get that insight. And what is the value there? Because if you want to make something that's dramatic and propulsive and that kind of thing, then just make it fictional, right? And you can do that, but sometimes you want to use historical events because people are interested in them. They saw them in the news. And that's why you do what you're doing in these particular contexts. Uh, Sardinisms, I'm going to go back to my theory that your advertising is creating a promise. If your advertising is promising a historical drama and you make up giant swaths of crap, you broke that promise, says Sardinisms. Yeah, I think that's fair. I can honestly say I don't know that I've ever seen marketing for The Crown other than like the, like the front page of Netflix. Uh, but I'm sure it's out there. And I am sure it represents itself as being something like the real life events of the British royal family. Obviously, we're going into the 90s. We know what to expect. We know the character of Diana will die. I mean, like it's all following what we know. You put reasons behind that that aren't factual. They better be aliens or robots or something obviously wrong. Uh, or you're going to face this kind of criticism. Now, from Netflix perspective, they probably don't care. Because this falls into the any marketing is good marketing, any press is good press. It's not bad enough to really turn people off of the show. And it reminds folks that the season is coming up next month, as we're doing here in Casual Friday Hangouts and Headlines, right? So probably not the worst thing if you're Netflix. And yet, I would still see them do a little bit better. Minnie says, I've gotten my son into reading Dune after watching the latest adaptation. He has issues with what they have left out. I have done my job. <laughs> yes. So the biggest thing, I really love the adaptation, right? I really love it. But they don't do a good enough job of establishing the Atreides family on Arrakis and what they're dealing with in terms of the town and everything before the stuff that happens. We'll leave it at that in case people still want to watch Dune or read Dune. Um, and so I think that they they miss out on what should be like a half hour of, of setting the stakes there. Obviously, the movie's already, however long it is, three hours. Um, and so they, they thought they had to cut it down. But I wish they hadn't. I wish they hadn't. Uh, Aviation Fanatic with a super chat. Very generous of you, Aviation Fanatic. I appreciate it. If a film is done on real people about real events, it should be as factual as possible. It can be done while adding dramatic flair. It's only fair to those whose story you are telling 
Go box tongue out emoji. It's going to get more and more as we head into November, isn't it? Uh, yes. Well, um, good good luck to you, Buckeyes. I, I honestly very much hope that you're undefeated coming into our game, and I hope that we're undefeated coming into that game as well. So that would be fun, wouldn't it? Um, are you looking forward to Regeneration Sunday? Blue heart emoji. I don't know. what What is that? Are we going to regenerate on Sunday? I, I'm still live. I still have a two-hour show <laughs> on Sunday. Every single day, folks. Every single day. Um, Sibling Creature says, that said, I have to say that I really enjoyed Bohemian Rhapsody, even knowing that there were some massive differences from reality. Well, yeah, and I think if you know that, that's a separate problem, right? You can go in and say, all right, you know, show me whatever. Um, I understand the history here. It's, it's for the people that are going to take this as their history book. And I think there's an earlier comment that is justified that says nobody should do that. Who in the world goes into a movie theater or watches a Netflix show and says, this is what actually happened. I fear a number of us. I fear a number of us. And this goes back to, you know, historical stuff. Even the stuff that was analogous, um, you could see was referencing somebody at the time, uh, you know, Rosebud, that kind of stuff uh, is embedded in the minds of the cultural zeitgeist for telling you about things like Hearst. Um, and so uh, even looking at something like Citizen Kane, uh, we can look at and say mm, that that changed the way people thought about particular historical figures and they did the right thing. They didn't use the names. Uh, I think while individuals and direct family are still alive, we need to honor reality to do anything else is incredibly inconsiderate. That's a fair, it's a fair stance. Jordan with a super chat. Thank you so much. I think you can have balance. <clears throat> think of the show Narcos history buffs does a really great analysis of movies and shows for historical accuracy with accommodations for storytelling in entertainment. Is that a YouTube channel? I don't know them. I will, I, I will potentially check them out. Um, I think that's actually a fun kind of exercise. I'm not a historian, right? So I have to depend on others to some extent to kind of piece these things together. Um, and uh, I will definitely take a look and see if I can add a YouTube channel to my subscriptions uh, that just goes through things and says, this is right, this is wrong. Uh, and this is, you know, how they're trying to dramatize it to tell their story. G Master Hogue, my man, from one attorney to another, do you ever sleep? No. Pops Hogue comes over yesterday, right? You saw him do a super chat on the seven hour stream on Wednesday. Pops Hogue comes over yesterday and he's like, you have, you have bags under your eyes, man. I say, I always have bags under my eyes. He's like, no, they're real this time. Okay. All right. Uh, well, you know what? I like to work. We'll sleep when we have no other options. I like to have these conversations, even though my voice is still a little rusty from Wednesday. We'll see if we can find a day to kind of clean it up. <clears throat> Oh, you, you made a super chat of it. That is very nice of you, G-Master. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, what else we got going on here? Just talking. If you tell a story based on real living people that adds a bit of drama, make it a story and change the names. If you want to tell a living person's story, stick to the facts and do not dramatize. I think it's impossible to not dramatize at all. You're watching a kind of audiovisual medium. You're going to have music. Music dramatizes things, right? So if you're just having a conversation in a room, you don't probably, I can't speak for you, honestly, you don't probably have an epic soundtrack going on in the background in your head while you're having these conversations. So the act of making a movie out of these things using actors is going to dramatize. But I agree with you if we're just talking about like the overall plotting uh, of the story, definitely. If I want facts, I'll watch a documentary. If I want entertainment, I'll watch something fictionalized. See, now that's interesting in and of itself, right? Because we do headlines here, right? It's casual Friday. So we're not going to do any super serious headlines, but we can see 
that you can take a documentary style, certainly, just like you can take an article style, and you can pick and choose the elements of the narrative that you want. That's one of the things I find interesting about the dramatization here that we're talking about is usually you have enough data points in a life or in a story that you can kind of use true ones and craft the story and the motivations that you want to tell. Um, so I don't know, and I've, I've had this conversation with others before offline. <clears throat> I don't know that you can just depend on, Hey, this is a documentary and this is telling a fully accurate version of events because there's always editorialization. There's always choosing what you decide to tell, um, even in a real life story. So I hear you. I would hope that we can get closer to reality with a documentary than we can with a drama. Uh, and yet I also would not recommend just handing over the concepts, the critical thinking of what actually happened to the documentarian, because there's a reason they decided to make this documentary. Generally speaking, you can see it firsthand. One of the exercises I really like to have people do or, or, or like to tell people is that I think it was within the same week or maybe the same month that Netflix and Hulu both released documentaries on the fire festival. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, but it was the one where the, the, the rich kids got stuck on an island and, and didn't have uh, what they thought they were buying. Uh, and you can tell from the same set of events that the documentaries on the two channels take a very different path in establishing what they want to say uh, about these events. And so I think that's always fun. That's always interesting. Check out any two documentaries that cover the same subject matter. But the Fire Festival ones were right at the same time. Uh, so I think that's a good exercise. Carrie depicting living people is problematic. It can shape and frame opinions of them that might not even be close to factual. Got people in here telling me there's a new Silent Hill. I am, I am cautiously neutral towards the Silent Hill announcements. Royals don't get to have a choice. They are public people, but I guess Diana could be and should be seen as private, so they should skip that. I mean, she's a part of the story, uh, so I, I don't, I don't think they can skip it, but. Yep. Problem with dramatic license when speaking about real people is that the truth gets lost over time. I agree with that aviation fanatic because people tend to regurgitate what they've heard true or not. I think that's the responsibility that I'm talking about at the top of this episode is I don't think artists can just wash their hands and say, obviously, I'm just making a movie here uh, and say it's not up to me what happens in, in people's heads. I, I do think you have to at least be cognizant of the fact that people, some people will take this as what happened. Uh, and in the case of Blonde, you have kind of two levels removed because it's an adaptation of what is acknowledged as a fictionalized story of basically Marilyn Monroe uh, calling itself Marilyn Monroe, but admitting that it's fictionalized for whatever purposes the author wanted to put it to. Uh, and then that gets translated. Hey, it's Kurt from Uncivil Law. Hope all is going well. Keep crushing it. Thanks, Kurt. I appreciate it. Good to, good to see you here. Brit, in the end, I can accept the dramatization of the dialogue in a short movie because rarely we have the exact words. However, when we have exact words, like the I have a dream speech, it should be accurate. Yes. Agreed. If we have things like speeches, if we have things that the public knows about, I think it's actually often a, a fun bit of dramatic trickery to find yourself seeing how exactly that speech was in the context of the lives. Um, so... I think you can absolutely do that. You go too far with that. However, you wind up with Shakespeare in love, right? And you have like a fictionalized background for how Romeo and Juliet came to be written. It's all a matter of balance, folks. It's all a matter of balance. And, and dramatic is popping up a little bit. It's currently just under 10%, but it was at like 2% for a while there. So do vote in that poll. 
Um, and leave a like if you could. We got almost 500 people here in Casual Friday. Uh, so please do leave a like there. Dune is hardcore sci-fi. Respect everyone who reads the books. I think Dune is a pretty easy read in the world of science fiction. I think Herbert was a good writer. Uh, when I think of hardcore sci-fi that's like hard to uh, hard to actually engage with, you got like the translations, you got like three-body problem. Uh, you've got the Heinlein stuff that gets really weird. You got like Philip K. Dick, right? So side story here. It's casual Friday. We can do this. <clears throat> Final Fantasy 16, which if you've been in this space, you know Final Fantasy is my favorite series of all time. Final Fantasy 16 put out another trailer yesterday, and it's a trailer that doesn't say a lot, but it's ostensibly a story trailer. And I was reminded yet again that their land, their continent, maybe their world, it's unclear, uh, is called Valisthea. And I have, since this announcement that that was the name of the world, looked at it and said, that is way too on the nose. Because Valis is a very specific term of reference for the book Valis from Philip K. Dick, which ultimately, spoiler alert, I guess, kind of, comes out through hallucinogenic visions and things like that, talking about the fact uh, that um, humanity should fight its gods, that it should believe in itself and not deities. And if you're familiar with Japanese role-playing games like Final Fantasy, one of the consistent themes that happens every so often in those games is uh, a notion against something like a corrupt church and, and fighting a god or a messiah or whatever. Like That's a really deeply embedded in Japanese culture, as best I can tell, uh, from the games that I play from them. And so when you have a continent that's literally kind of called Valis and then Thea, which of course is the root for theology and, and God or goddess. And, and you've got Valisthea as the name of your continent. <laughs> I said from the time that they announced that before they said anything about the game, I was like, all right, it's gonna be about killing gods. Uh, and this trailer comes out and it's like, yep, to the surprise of no one, it looks like it's about rebelling against gods. And uh, I, I think that's funny, but Philip K. Dick himself, I can't recommend the book Valis. It is darn near impenetrable, uh, but it stuck with me. So he did something right. And uh, those, I think, are a little bit harder than Dune. Dune is a novel that is written uh, for a, a novel reader rather than really deeply embedded in specifically science fiction underpinnings. In my opinion, reasonable minds can certainly differ on the readability of Dune, believe me. Uh, but I really, really like Dune. Really like Dune. One of my favorite books. Um, so there you go. See here, we're going to scroll ahead a little bit because I got myself minutes behind talking about Final Fantasy 16. I think, if I remember correctly, Co-Counsel has that on her bingo sheet as a reference to Final Fantasy. So you can fill out that uh, if you've seen it, if you're seeing it on your bingo board. Uh, Aviation Fanatic, sometimes documentaries aren't entirely factual. Very true. Very true. Kelly says there's always a soundtrack playing in my head. What's wrong with you, Rick? Laughing emoji. Uh, yes. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I like to think of myself as a, a hobbit in the Lord of the Rings. What can I say? I've seen the memes. You all think of me as one too. Uh, some some of the follow-up books from Ender's Game were hard to follow and get through. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Britt says, Dune is not hard to read, but it is very layered. It's very political. That's one of my favorite parts about it. You can read a great story on the surface, but then you can go deeper into destiny and religion and human potential and, 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 and. Yeah. Dune is a book full of big ideas, uh, and it is fantastic. It is a very layered political, religious uh, text type thing. And it's wonderful. It's one of the reasons why it has stood the test of time uh, and is still great to read. 
good because I wanted to punch Final Fantasy 15 gods uh, in the um, in the godlike undercarriage. Uh, and yeah, I can get that. Hogue, I disagree. This is okay. I cannot get past the style that Dune is written in. I have tried to read and listen to the audiobook multiple times and I fall asleep every time. It's impossible to read for me. Fair enough. I can certainly accept a, a reasoned criti uh, criticism slash disagreement with me. Uh, I find it to be uh, easier to read than some other sci-fi. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried, you know, Book of the Fallen. Uh, I've tried, um, gosh, what is that one? The, I can't, re I can't remember it now. I want to say the Citizen series, but that's not right. It's something along those lines. Um, and I find those to be trickier. I do think that you can get simpler science fiction the further back in time you go. I love Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov. Um, I was reading Foundation is my Papa Hogue's favorite book. Um, and so I was reading that in connection with the launch of the Apple TV series. Now that's a weird, that's an adaptation. This is completely different, separate discussion. We'll save it for another casual Friday. But the Foundation TV show is like nothing like the Foundation book. Um, so you get into those kinds of questions. Um, best Isaac Asimov book is his guides to the old and new Testament. Very well researched and presented. Have not read those, honestly. So that's fun. Ender's game is one of my favorites. I still have it on a, in a bookshelf. Yeah. I'm a video game player. Who doesn't love Ender's game? <laughs> Ninja girl, 1994. I hate historically based movies that add drama where drama wasn't. They need to differentiate between dramas and documentaries. Yeah, I agree. I can certainly get that. Uh, three body problem is expected uh, to release in 2023 written by, oh, you know, what's that meme? You had me in the first half there. I'm not going to lie. I would totally watch a TV show based on three body problem. And then you hit me with the Game of Thrones show, Game of Thrones showrunners. I'm out. Fool me once. <laughs> uh, oh, reasonable minds differing over Melazon are no longer reasonable. Shame, shame, shame. I'm telling you that it is difficult to read. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Melazon is Book of the Fallen. Um, I'm, I'm saying it is difficult to read Disney nerd 85. Good morning, Hogue fam. I'm super late as I actually got to sleep in this morning. We're just chilling. It's casual Friday, Disney nerd. Don't worry about it. Uh, I love that written by, oh yeah. Yeah. I could not read Dune, just could not get into it, but I did like the first movie. All right. So there's a little bit more, uh, difficulty with Dune than I would have anticipated. That's a okay. Um, I still will recommend it as I think it is a very kind of, again, we're going to use the word propulsive. It is a, it is a read that goes forward very quickly, uh, unlike some other science fiction. Um, and while it has a lot of world building in it, I think it always focuses on the characters, which makes it a better read. Um, that's me. Reasonable minds can differ on this stuff. We're talking about art, right? Uh, I tried listening to a Malazan book on tape and had to turn it off because it was putting us to sleep. Uh, I think books on tape might just do that, right? It's a very similar kind of cadence. It's a very similar kind of volume. Um, and I actually have to watch when I put books on tape when I'm driving the family on vacation because it does tend to put you into this kind of zen state. Um, and so I have to watch those things. Strangely, I like the Dune board game. Which one? So many good Dune board games. I know you can't actually respond to me in this context because you're using the chat, but man, Dune Imperium is fantastic. I really love Dune Imperium. The, the old 1970s Dune game, um, I've only seen played. There's no way I could get that level of gamer to the table with like totally asymmetric 12-hour game plays. Uh, but I'm very interested. Absolutely. If you want to understand books, drink alcohol. So many books were written by inebriated writers during the age when people drank alcoholic beverages rather than water. It also eradicates barriers. 
Uh, Catherine. Yeah, there are a lot of what I would say, uh, however you want to describe it, whether it's alcohol or some other substance, there are a lot of enhanced book writings uh, there. Some creativity uh, found through uh, uh, Venus, as it were. Uh, I've read it, and it feels like more of a doorstopper to me than that, so it's going to take me a bit. Stephen King, I really like Stephen King's setups. He's like the J.J. Abrams of novels. He has some good setups. He has some driving characters and driving, inciting incidents, and then finishing that up. I, he doesn't finish a lot of them really great. D&D uh, adapting a book is good, Rick. It's good. They did okay with Game of Thrones when they had a book. Game of Thrones got bad when they started deviating from the books until there was no more things to adapt. Okay, Bruna. I don't think you're wrong there. Hmm. But yet, I feel like I shouldn't give them my clicks. You know? Hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hi from London, says Hobbix. I think part of the story is that so many showrunners come out of the gate defensive. They do. It's like, okay, what's the marketing strategy here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hogue, I recommend the books, The Seventh Son of the Seventh Sons. I think I finished four or five of 10 books in that series in middle school. Each is around 400 pages long. I have not read that one. I will put that on my list. We'll have a, we'll have a Hogue book club. We'll pick a book. Uh, we'll go chapter by chapter. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll have uh, monthly meetings or something along those lines uh, about a book we all read together. Uh, I cannot, I, I read everything and anything. I cannot read Stephen King. I understand. Uh, to me, his style is super boring. I did manage to read The Shining, but it was tough. I recommend The Stand. I think The Stand is, is his premier work. Um, maybe the originally published version and not the unedited Stephen King talks about whatever he likes for hundreds of pages edition. Uh, but uh, I really love The Stand. I, I really love his short stories. You can check out his short stories. I read a lot of Stephen King, especially when I was younger. And I actually just got a new book from him called Fairy Tale that I haven't gotten very far in. But reading the first couple of chapters, uh, it's like, yeah, that's that's the Stephen King style. He really does draw characters very specifically and with a lot of specific details that I enjoy. Uh, if you don't enjoy that, it's not going to be for you. Um, but I, I did pick up Fairy Tale because it had the right kind of premise. I think it sounded like a Final Fantasy or something. So we'll see. Uh, the Dark Tower series is amazing. Yes, absolutely. Right until it ends. <laughs> uh, I do. I do like the Dark Tower. The drawing of the three was very impactful for me when I was younger. I thought the drawing of the three was really, really good. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff from Stephen King. You just kind of have to take the good with the bad. Uh, I did enjoy the Green Mile in its original chapter book format. I have I have the very thin Green Miles on my shelf uh, right now uh, over to the left there. Uh, so absolutely. Yes to book club. See, I just I just do the 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 whiteboard spitballing, uh, and, and some of you like those ideas. Well, Hogue, Hogue's book club, maybe maybe someday, when I have time to read. <laughs> uh, fantastic stuff, folks. All right, let's talk about the actual headlines here for a little bit, um, because I have been kind of teasing them, and we have been talking about them in, in kind of substance. Uh, this is from Variety. Um, I tried every which way to get to the actual Times editorial. Um, that she sent a letter in to the editors for the Times, uh, but uh, they, they had me blocked out pretty good. Judy Dench calls out The Crown as cruelly unjust, urges Netflix to add disclaimer 
This cannot go unchallenged. That's not the disclaimer. That's that's her statement again. Um, and honestly, the ask here is pretty minimal. Netflix doesn't want to put a disclaimer on the crown. Judy Dench says a disclaimer is entirely warranted. And let's see how she says that. Judy Dench wrote an open letter to the Times UK criticizing Netflix's The Crown for being cruelly unjust in its depiction of the British royal family. The Oscar winner, that's Judy Dench, stressed that she supports artistic freedom, thus she's urging Netflix to add a disclaimer to each episode, stressing to viewers that the show is a fictionalized account of historical events. She doesn't want to see it shut down. She doesn't want to see it removed. Eh, it's an all right call. The closer the drama comes to our present times, the more freely it seems willing to blur the lines between historical accuracy and crude sensationalism. Dench's letter reads, Dench's letter was published ahead of The Crown season five launching on Netflix in November. The new episodes cover some of the royal family's most tumultuous years in the 1990s, including the bitter divorce between Prince Charles and Princess Diana. Given some of the wounding suggestions apparently contained in the new series, so this is based on like trailers and things, that King Charles plotted for his mother to abdicate, for example, or once suggested his mother's parenting was so deficient that she might have deserved a jail sentence, this is both cruelly unjust to the individuals and damaging to the institution they represent. I care less about that. No one is greater believer in artistic freedom than I, but this cannot go unchallenged. Now, I highlighted this in red because this particular locution reminds me so much of like what happens on Twitter. No one is a bigger supporter of freedom of speech than me, but okay. <laughs> now, I do think that Judy Dench here has taken uh, the right tack, which is she's not seeking to see the crown obliterated. She's not seeking to have uh, the outrage mob descend on the crown showrunners or writers or anything like that. She just thinks that a disclaimer at the top or, or just a note. I don't know what it has to be a disclaimer because um, disclaimers can also be used for interesting effect. Right. That's that's famously what Fargo does in its movies and every step and every separate episode. Um, is that this is this is true events. Dench continues, despite this week stating publicly that The Crown has always been a fictionalized drama, the program makers have resisted all calls for them to carry a disclaimer at the start of each episode. The time has come for Netflix to reconsider. For the sake of a family and a nation so recently bereaved, as a mark of respect to a sovereign who served her people so dutifully for 70 years, and to preserve their own reputation in the eyes of their British subscribers. So you can see where this is coming from, right? It's it's coming from the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, and I think if it's going to have any effect, we talk about messaging here a lot on this channel. This is a balanced message given to an audience that is probably receptive to it uh, at the right time. Do I think Netflix will fold on this? I do not. Uh, but is this the greatest chance of actually getting that disclaimer card if it's important to you? I think it is. I think this is in terms of knowing your audience and how to say what you want to say and make the request that you want to request uh, the right way to do it. You don't have to agree with Judy Dench, uh, but this is at least as presented here in variety because we can't get our hands on the actual letter, the right way to look at things. While Netflix does not include a disclaimer on the Crown episodes, it has long maintained that the series is presented as a drama based on historical events. In November 2020, UK Culture Secretary... Y'all have a culture secretary? What do they do? I have questions. Leave them in the comments. Oliver Dowden spoke out about the need for Netflix to add a disclaimer to the series since it is a work of fiction. The series was airing its fourth season at the time. It's a beautifully produced work of fiction. So as with other TV productions, Netflix should be very clear at the beginning. It is just that. 
Dowden said. Without this, I fear a generation of viewers who did not live through these events may mistake fiction for fact. And I think that that concern is justified, although I do have concerns myself of somebody with a government position like culture secretary making a streaming service put out a message it doesn't want to make. I have that as an issue. So we'll see. Uh, UK people, tell me about it in the comments here. What, what does a culture secretary do? Uh, Secret big squirrel with the zinger. He's probably resigned by now. I said a tweet yesterday. I said, the UK government is clearly more responsive to unrest than the American one. Because if you didn't see their prime minister uh, resigned after, what was it? Six weeks, five weeks of having the job. I think it's the shortest prime minister stint in British history. Uh, you guys can correct me on that. Um, and some people came in and said, well, that doesn't make it better. I said, I didn't say it was better. <clears throat> I didn't say it was better. Uh, I did say it's more responsive. Um, and certainly having that level of responsiveness can lead to a lack of stability. I think the UK government right now is going through that, uh, a lack of stability in, in its government. Uh, Hogue, it's obvious the culture secretary is the secretary for culture. How much more plain can it be? I accept this criticism, Britt. I understand it is in fact the secretary of culture. What do they do? Do they just make statements about whether Netflix should have a disclaimer at the front of their crown episodes? What what do they do? Ah, Tiny Trifle says culture ministers try to increase their nation's branding either within the country or external presence. They're like morale officers. They're like, it is great to be British uh, and other people, the British are great. Okay, that's an official government position. I suppose we have something of an analog here with like tourism boards, maybe. You know, we've got the say yes to Michigan campaign. We've got the, uh, what do we even say? I, I don't, pure Michigan, I think has been the one for a number of times. I don't know if that sells you on us. It's great here. We got lots of cool wilderness. Uh, but uh, I don't know if Tim Allen saying pure Michigan 6,000 times in your ear says, yeah, I should go visit Michigan. Don't know. Uh, yes, trust is the shortest UK prime minister term in history. Thank you for confirming that. Uh, Dame Judy has played Queens Victoria and Elizabeth in films. Are her criticisms hypocritical? Oh, leafy fifi foo bringing the heat. The crown deals with recent events, so fictionalization is known to be embellished. Did her films carry disclaimers? I have no idea. Uh, she won an Oscar for like 11 minutes of playing a queen, didn't she? Famously like the shortest stint uh, to, to win a, I think, supporting actress Oscar. Uh, so I think that's a good point. She has certainly made uh, at least some of her money from doing fictionalized things as royalty. Uh, but I think she does at least couch it again correctly. I think this is a smart statement. You don't have to agree with it, but I think it's a smart statement where she frames it as since we're now going into the 90s. This is lived experience for many people, certainly for me, for instance. Um, and so we should be more cautious. Uh, and then she also says, if you didn't live through it, then we have to be even more cautious because you're going to have a society that has this kind of conflict of ideas about what happened. Um, I don't know. I don't know if uh, it's entirely fair of Judy Dench to make this complaint, but it seems to come from a legitimate place. Now, I also made the comment earlier, it seems to come from a legitimate place that is not uh, fully cognizant of what happens in season five. Nobody does except the show. Uh, so it may be a little bit jumping the gun. Right. Apparently, this is what happens because I watched the trailer, one would assume. 
Uh, and that is maybe not where we should start out these kinds of criticisms, because as you know, trailers can be wildly deceiving. Uh, trailers can use clips of audio that maybe aren't even in the show and put them over other images to get people to try to click in and that they don't even put that in the show at the end of the day. So I think we're maybe one step too early for this. But I also think the presented as a drama based on historical events is not a strong enough indicia of fictionalization, right? If Netflix and the showrunners are trying to say that this, it's a drama based on historical events, is supposed to protect them, I don't think it does. I think there's a working assumption that then those historical events, as they appear, are accurate. And yes, you dramatize like how people speak, right? Because in real life, you got some ums and some uhs and some pauses and some sidetracks. And they might talk about Final Fantasy 16 in the middle of their conversation. Who knows? And you shorten that to focus on a story. That's dramatization. It doesn't mean if there wasn't an abdication attempt that you make one up. And I think there's a distinction there. So I don't think this particular note is good enough. Netflix responded by refusing to add a disclaimer with a spokesperson issuing the following statement. <clears throat> we have always presented the crown as a drama and we have every confidence our members understand it's a work of fiction that's broadly based, and it's an extra word, on historical events. There is in fact an England and we're told there's a city in that England called London. As a result, we have no plans and see no need to add a disclaimer. What's interesting about this fight, right, is you know you've seen it in other fictional movies and TV shows, the disclaimer at the end, which is that uh, this is not based on people living or dead, those kinds of things. doesn't mean that you couldn't have based it on it, but you're trying to avoid getting sued by the estate or what have you. Netflix is just all in. It's like, all right, sue us if you want, uh, but we're not going to add a disclaimer to this. People understand. We have confidence in our members. Really, Netflix, you have confidence in the intelligence of your audience on this stuff. I have never known you <laughs> to be confident in the intelligence of your audience. This is why you repeat plot points three or five times uh, in a particular story. So hmm, objection, facts, not in evidence. But it's useful to you if you don't want to put that disclaimer up. Now, one also asks the question, why does Netflix care so much? Um, and I would gather that because they're in the middle of the series is why they care. Uh, that they just add it in the middle, would probably ask them to add it to be the before times, uh, and then that makes it look like it is less historically accurate than it might even be, and that could reduce their audience share. So I, I would gather that's where the resistance comes from now for something that seems pretty easy to do. Emma Corrin, who originated the role of Princess Diana on The Crown, agreed with Netflix. I don't want to tell you how to live your life, folks, but if you're getting paid large amounts of money from an employer, it's good to agree with them. It is very clearly a dramatized version of events. This is fictitious in the same way people don't mistake succession for what actually happened with the Murdochs. I also understand the request comes from a place of sensitivity and protectiveness of the royal family and Diana. I'm going to agree with Netflix and disagree with you, but I, I get it. You're very sensitive right now, British people. Um, yeah, so this is a terrible argument. Again, uh, I don't want to disparage all actors because I think sometimes they say interesting things and they're intelligent. Don't let the actors fight your fights on this kind of stuff. Uh, because they tend to come out this way, right? Succession, definitely not Fox. It's essentially an analog for Fox. Uh, nobody thinks that that's what happens with the Murdochs because it's patently absurd. Succession is ridiculous. I keep saying that one of the things I want to do is a, a episode by episode dissection of succession and how it fails basically all uh, corporate form, how entities work, how board of directors work, how management or officers work, all in the service of drama. And as a corporate lawyer, 
it's damn near unwatchable. <laughs> so yeah, you don't miss, you don't mistake it because it's ridiculous. It's satire. Um, and, I, and that's the, that's the quote that they end on. So that's the crown. You had some super chats. I saw what, what do y'all think of the crown discussion before we get into blonde? Um, let me grab those here. Rain 432, Canada's province of Quebec has a ministry of language and culture whose role appears to be to stamp out the use of Eng English anywhere in Quebec. Okay. I'm always interested in how other people govern. Thank you for letting me know. Uh, Canada is a wild and woolly land, as Ian Runkle will attest. Danny, the insurance girl, only thing Netflix knows for sure is that maybe people are sharing passwords. <laughs> I saw a news item the other day that said they're they're working on like machine learning and AI to figure out when uh, an account has uh, accounts on it. Like if you go under the Netflix screen with a given password that are not in the same household and they're going to start charging like outside household member fees, increasing prices. Uh, and they're testing it out in various jurisdictions. So get excited, people. Remember when Netflix used to advertise that you should share passwords with people? Wild times, wild times. All right, let's see here. I've never watched The Crown, says Nine Eyes. Not my cup of tea. I like it. Is that a pun? Because it's British? Tea? No. But was an extra in one of the episodes. This is taking a turn. Had to sit in a church pew behind Charles Dance. <gasps> Tywin Lannister himself. Wearing a 60s outfit. Bizarre day, but great fun. Smile emoji. Chat, we're not going to go on another roller coaster like that particular chat again today, I don't think. I was dressed in a 60s outfit behind Charles Dance all day in a church pew. All right. I want to know more. That's fantastic. Love it. Uh, yep, they're going to start charging more for sharing. Uh, I refuse to watch it. It will just make me angry. Don't mess with history. Many people get their education through these shows. I agree with that. The Crown is controversial on its own because it's depicting the lives of people still alive. They say it's drama, but people do believe it, and clearly Netflix wants them to believe it. I think it's a concern. I think it's a legitimate one. Netflix doesn't like the two different fiber lines we have at home, two IPs, and they see sharing. Is that true? Have they already said that to you? Uh, YouTube Premium Family is going up in price. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I think everybody's going to have trouble. I'm not going to lie. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's an economy we're going to see a lot more stuff like that. I'm very sorry to say. I, I don't think I'm the bearer of this news. You can probably all feel it, uh, but it's a problem. Law of improbability rolling in with naval bombardment was a key feature in the Normandy plans and actual fighting, but I keep seeing why didn't they use naval gunfire at Normandy because of how Saving Private Ryan presented it. That's interesting. Yeah, I can't tell you um, about what is right or wrong in those particular movies. I think that Saving Private Ryan had the first most visceral kind of participatory landing on the beaches of Normandy. And so I think that sticks with people in their heads. Um, but yeah, you do wish that folks wouldn't just stop there, that there is the availability of more information on this stuff and that they would go seek that out. I just don't think it necessarily happens. Co-counsel already complaining <clears throat> about YouTube this morning. Thanks, YouTube, for deleting my words. Night Eyes, your life sounds magical. <sighs> Brett says the streaming sphere is about to get all Thunderdome. I'm here for it a hundred percent. Isn't Netflix still being sued by like 25 cities in Texas? Last I saw was what it was from district of federal court. I think about cuties. I think there's still a cuties lawsuit going on. Is that what we're talking about? I don't know what else is happening with respect to Texas. 
Uh, Texas is its own wild and woolly place, much like Canada, just in different directions. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. Let's talk about Blonde a little bit, right? So Netflix, as we've seen, has issues with the Crown, has issues with people commenting on the Crown. I also want to call out co-counsel, by the way. She's the one that flagged that uh, Crown article for me. Um, and I wanted to combine it with some of the other things that we had seen discussed about Netflix over this past summer. And the biggest one was this movie Blonde, right? If you don't know this movie, uh, Blonde was wound up being rated NC-17 here in the United States. So they couldn't do advertising. They couldn't do billboards. They couldn't do that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, it was thought by most, I would say, to be a biopic about Marilyn Monroe. However, it isn't quite, right? So I've got this up here. How true is the movie Blonde? Fact versus fiction, the new Netflix film. Uh, a lot of it is untrue. More specifically, things about S.A. and other things that are quite trying to see. And so when the actual showrunner talked about this, uh, thank you, what, 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 what are we doing here? When you set up these tabs, sometimes they just decide to make ads randomly appear. <laughs> so sorry about that. When we talked to the creator of this in BFI, the British Film Institute, uh, you don't see any kind of responsibility taken for that. The, the top line quote here uh, is, I'm not interested in reality. I'm interested in the images. Uh, and that's maybe taken a little bit out of context because it's actually talking specifically about photos that he's trying to recreate. Uh, but we'll see exactly what happens. And what's important to note about this in terms of structure is that there's a novel, I think from the early 2000s, called Blonde. Uh, and it takes pieces of Marilyn Monroe's life and admits that it creates a fictionalized narrative story out of those. This movie on Netflix then is an adaptation of that fictionalized novel that takes pieces of Marilyn Monroe's life. And then obviously now you're two levels removed from the actual life lived. You've gotten even more far afield and you make stuff up to make the points that you want to make. So let's take a look at just what I highlighted here. This is a very long interview. And so I will link this in the description. It's already linked if you're interested in following along. This is the film following Oates's story. Oates is the author of the novel, uh, right? So this is Andrew Dominic's movie, Blonde. His decade in the making adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates' novel, 2000, of the same name is almost as ubiquitous as this point as Marilyn Monroe herself. The film following Oates' story is a thinly veiled fictionalization of Monroe's life and death with a particular focus on her difficult childhood, her troubled relationships with men, and her own gynecological trouble. Now, there's a word I didn't anticipate saying in this channel. On the face of it, the film shares a dark interest in imagined tales about larger-than-life real people. Speaking on a video call from Melbourne, hello, Australian fans, the respected Australian auteur has an admirably even-keeled approach to what I must admit are increasingly difficult philosophical questions about the nature of his project. Blonde is a pretty dense novel. How did you come across it? And how did you even begin to consider structuring its adaptation? I didn't think of making it into a film when I first read it in, say, 2002. I wasn't that interested. But there was a story I was interested in telling, which is about how childhood drama shapes an adult's perception of the world. So from this perspective, look, we want artists to be creating. Art is great. And artists are all interesting people that go and take these leaps of putting themselves out there with this type of stuff. You can see, however that he's less interested in Marilyn Monroe than he is with his overall thesis, which is kind of childhood trauma, changing the way you see the life in the future, 
can you tell me about recreating the color photos uh, of Marilyn Monroe? Uh, the visual idea of the movie is to reference the collective memory, which to me sounds like what we think of as Marilyn Monroe rather than what Marilyn Monroe is. It's a weird deja vu, but the meaning of the images is different. So the image of her and Arthur Miller at the window is romantic image, but in the film, it's kind of ugly. She's trapped in our memory of her and trying to break out of it. It's a movie about the unconscious, and we only know as much as she does because she's essentially living an unexamined life. So essentially, you've taken these photos and you've repurposed them for whatever your mission statement is. And this is kind of how this whole interview goes. Uh, they transform out into Armas into Marilyn Monroe. It's well thought out. We use lighting and lenses. I'm not interested in reality. I'm interested in the images. So I selected every image of Marilyn I could find and then tried to stage scenes around those images. We're constantly referring to them and we changed the aspect ratio and that kind of thing. For someone so beloved by women, we don't see Monroe in the film with many close female relationships or friendships, no Jane Russell or anything like that. Well, that's the way the book is. And that's the way I think it was. I think Marilyn was a guy's girl. I don't think she was a woman who had a lot of female friends. But then I think she was a woman who didn't have a lot of friends. There's a sense that we want to reinvent her according to today's political concerns. But she was a person who was extraordinarily self-destructive. And this is a, re a repeated kind of message as well, that this individual is very much focused on how a person commits suicide. I guess my feeling, says the interviewer, is that there's a gray area somewhere between victimhood and empowerment. Well, I think she was clearly an extraordinarily powerful person, but I don't think she was built for success in the way that people see it today. So with everyone, there are moments of strength and people want to say that she took control of her life, but she wanted to destroy her life. So one of the issues here is that this movie doesn't include some of the victories that Marilyn Monroe had. Uh, and we'll see that in this interview as well, because this individual is very much focused on telling the story of a self-destructive person based on childhood and adult trauma, some of which didn't happen, or at least we have no proof of them happening. Uh, and that is something different than creating a biography of a real living person that walked the earth. Would you say that this is in your story, you see Monroe as a symbolic vessel for a story about childhood trauma or abuse? Okay, this is one of the big answers. I've read everything there is to read about Marilyn Monroe. I've met people that knew her. I've done an enormous amount of research. But in the end, it's about the book, which remember is a fictionalized novel. And adapting the book is really about adapting the feelings that the book gave me. Huh. I see the film in some ways as Joyce's vision of Marilyn, which is also really about Joyce. So I think the film is about the meaning of Marilyn Monroe or a meaning. She was symbolic of something. She was the Aphrodite of the 20th century, the American goddess of love, and she killed herself. So what does that mean? So you can see here the kind of disconnect that I think I have. I can't speak for other people, obviously. When you're talking about a project like this, you are recreating real life images in the context of a project that you acknowledge is more symbolic than anything. That it's about the feelings that you got from a book that was a about an interpretation and fictionalization of events of a real person that you then use the real life aspects of to go back to that symbolic meaning. And I don't love these answers, folks. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I don't think that this is the right way to conceptually use an actual person. 
Joyce is trying to understand how it expresses a certain female experience or a certain human experience. You have to play fast and loose with the truth in order to have a certain narrative drive. But there are a lot of psychological processes that are dramatized in Blonde, a lot of Lacanian and Freudian ideas. For me, it was just the scenes I found compelling. I went with my instinct and wrote it pretty quick, and I didn't change it that much, even though it was sitting around for 14 years. I know the ways in which this is different from what people seem to agree happened. Not that everyone's sure. Nobody really knows what the heck happened. So it's all fiction anyway, in my opinion. So here you see, you know, however you want to frame these things. Speaking of uh, psychological ideas, this is early, like preemptory defensiveness. No one knows what happened, so I can do whatever I like. And mm, I don't know. You acknowledge that I know the ways in which this is different from what people seem to agree happened. You just disregard the entire kind of process there. Do you think the film does much to unpack or reverse the idea of Monroe being crazy or difficult? Marilyn represents a kind of rescue fantasy and the film is no different. The film is a rescue fantasy that we could have saved her somehow. Can you elaborate on that? Talks a little bit about symbolism some more. What you said about the idea of transposing modern values on people from the past, I agree that it's not healthy because I think it's very important to understand that women in particular had to exist within the confines of the world that they lived in. But I feel there are cultural repercussions to making certain choices in terms of how we present a figure from the past. What does it say to an audience that we're not seeing that she formed her own production company or that she was involved in opposing the anti-communist witch hunts by the House on american Activities Committees in the 50s or that she fought against segregation on behalf of Ella Fitzgerald and so on? That stuff is not really what the film is about. It's about a person who is going to be killing themselves. So it's trying to examine the reasons why they did that. It's not looking at her lasting legacy. I mean, she's not even terribly concerned with any of that stuff. If you look at Marilyn Monroe, she's got everything that society tells us is desirable. She's famous. She's beautiful. She's rich. If you look at the Instagram version of her life, she's got it all. And she killed herself. Now, to me, that's the most important thing. It's not the rest. It's not the moments of strength. Okay, she wrested control away from the men at the studio because, you know, women are just as powerful as men. But that's really looking at it through a lens that's not so interesting to me. I'm more interested in how she feels. I'm interested in what her emotional life was like. Well, your version or Oates's version of this character is so relentlessly unhappy, even though she's capable of radiating so much joy on the screen. Well, I think her life would have been incredibly unhappy. There are moments of joy and love, but years of unhappiness. If she found joy, she could potentially be alive today. You could be talking to her. So again, artists have to have ego. Artists have to believe in their vision. And yet when you hear these answers, when this discussion is happening, it certainly sounds like they're taking a life. They're fictionalizing that life. And then they're even fictionalizing that fictionalization in order to make the point that they want to make, which is I really want to talk about people killing themselves and not so much about Marilyn Monroe because it's not an adequate discussion of her entire life and things are added, right? In terms of Netflix's feelings about Blonde, was your original cut much longer? Blonde functions like a piece of music rather than a narrative nature. Do you think there's ever a risk that the audience takes Blonde as gospel about Monroe, even though it's clearly based on a novel and does it matter? I don't think that matters. Why would it matter is the answer. I mean, it's one of those things. Citizen Kane is a masterpiece, but Marion Davies and William Randolph Hearst become understood solely through it for a long time. Does anybody, does anyone care really? People who make films tend to think they're incredibly important, but it's just a movie about Marilyn Monroe and there are going to be a lot more movies about Marilyn Monroe. Now, if you become slightly infuriated by that interview, 
I don't blame you. If you haven't watched this movie, uh, then you don't know some of the stuff that we're talking about in terms of what was fictionalized. I did bring up this other article. It is a fictionalized biography that has caused controversy since its release because it's using the names and kind of concepts to make whatever point it wants to make. How true is the movie Blonde? While Blonde is a movie, film about Marilyn Monroe, it is more based on the fictionalized story of her life in the novel of the same name, which Oates describes as a radically distilled life in the form of fiction. For instance, did Marilyn Monroe ever meet your father? No, she never met her father. Did Marilyn Monroe have children? She never had children. Did Marilyn Monroe have an affair with JFK? There's really no proof about that. And more importantly, when there's an SA scene in Blonde, there's utterly no instance of proof of that. Blonde's most controversial scenes involve Monroe's alleged relationship with JFK and, and depicts her essay by the president. In the novel, JFK is portrayed as being seemingly cruel, but there's no evidence that he ever assaulted Monroe in real life. Was Baron Monroe in a throuple? There's no evidence for any polyamorous relationship that Blonde depicts between Marilyn Monroe, Charlie Chaplin, and Edward G. Robinson Jr., et cetera, et cetera. And I think you can actually do a longer list than this, but I just wanted to point out that in order to make this story about why someone commits suicide, the artistic vision here was to add things to get that person to that place. Um, and I think when you are using names, when you are using not just Marilyn Monroe's names, but all these other real people's names, that you do in fact have a responsibility at least to consider the impact that your art has on people, right? Why are you creating art? What is the purpose of you making this movie? Is it just for the paycheck from Netflix or do you have a message to tell? So I think that abdication at the end, oh, you know, it's just a movie, is disingenuous. Um, and so that's that's really the kind of topic I wanted to talk with you all about today, which is this notion of when is dramatization too far? What do you all think about that interview? We do have some bots here already, nice to see. Uh, what do you think of that interview? What do you think of it in the context of what we talked about with The Crown and the earlier conversations we had in the Hangouts portion? Because I will tell you, frankly, just between me and you, right? Nobody else. It's not like we're broadcasting this on the internet or anything. I don't like that interview with the with the blonde artist. I don't like them having those particular comments. It says, I wanted to do something. It's just a symbol. It doesn't matter what happened in a real life. We don't need to show anything empowering. I think all of that matters. Uh, when you're talking about someone's actual personhood. Uh, and that's where I fall on this. Nin Girl 1994, how is Netflix coming down on password sharing going to affect those of us that have it on our mobiles? Makes us use multiple accounts. Oi, monocle wearing emoji person. I have no idea. I don't think Netflix knows. Netflix is kind of beta testing this in jurisdictions right now to figure out whether it can go extract additional money for password sharing. Um, but they also don't want to kill their company. So they're going to be very, very careful. Uh, Nicholas Starro, Johan Hildebrandt, The Unbroken Line of the Moon, fantasy that plays with the thought of what stories lead to the Viking gods. All right, that's interesting. Okay, that's interesting. I'll put that on the list. Secret McSquirrel, hey, you watching, hit that like button, please. Thank you, Secret McSquirrel. That's very nice of you. We do have 600 people in here. Do hit the like button on your way out. You've lasted this long. Might as well hit the like button. YouTube certainly appreciates it. It tells them that you care about this kind of content, whether it's for me or someone else. Just because, tangent, I enjoyed Being the Ricardos, which was a Hulu movie about, like, Lucy and Richie Ricardo. Yeah. Knowing that there were only seeds of truth, but it was such a Sorkin film, it clearly wasn't trying to tell the truth. I think that is such an important point. If you go that far beyond, I think that's okay. And maybe Blonde does for you. It's certainly weird. Um, and, and maybe that's okay. Uh, but when we do talk about these interviews, when we do talk about this stuff, I, I do think you have to go that far 
if you're otherwise going to be using somebody's real history uh, to make whatever points that you're deciding to make. Uh, Mike Pierce, cultural SEC secretary, is head of Department of Culture, Media, and Sports. Wait, he does sports too? What What does the government minister of sports do in the UK? Does he like make sure that Liverpool is well taken care of? Or what does that look like? Um, Calista says this dude is erasing Marilyn Monroe to make a bad point. Uh, Hoga, I agree. Great analysis. The interview. That's roughly where I come out. You don't have to agree with me, by the way, but that's that's what it feels like is that he's using something to try to make whatever point he's trying to make. And we got to be careful about that when we're dealing with actual people. Uh, Aviation fanatic, not about how smart she was or her sense of humor. It's always been Rowan, not Norma Jean. How is this different from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Inglorious Bastards? Uh, well, I think uh, Inglorious Bastards is pretty self-evidently not the way that World War II went uh, by the time you get to its end uh, and otherwise is not depicting anybody real. Uh, so I think that's kind of that. Once Upon a Time is a closer question, right? Once Upon a Time, I think, is a great counterpoint uh, because you do have you know real people being hurt by real serial killers in that movie and a kind of revenge fantasy uh, that takes place similar to Inglorious Bastards, uh, but uh, that's that's a little bit closer to to home for me. And 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 Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also does some weird stuff by like talking about uh, Bruce Lee uh, and the Green Hornet uh, and things like that in a way that I don't think is warranted to just kind of add color uh, to their movie. And now I also don't think that anybody would confuse Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Inglorious Bastards for historical representations of these things. And certainly uh, both of those go so far as to create new people to take whatever you were going to do in that context. So history then becomes the setting, becomes the background, uh, but you're talking about characters that are brand new. Uh, and I think that's that's different. You know, you want to talk about making a movie called Blonde uh, and instead of recreating photos of Marilyn Monroe's life, you just have, uh, you know, a, a small town girl living in a lonely world. And then going to Hollywood and and making it big and, and having mirrors of what happens with Marilyn Monroe, I think could be okay. But when you go and in, in the case of this movie, like you actually go and film her death scene at the place she died and you do this kind of stuff that I'm not one to generally call things exploitative, but we're way, way close to the line for me with respect to that particular movie. And then you get answers like that from the creator and say, well, honestly, guy, you're just being a... Well, I think we saw the word used earlier. Uh, an undercarriage is what you're being. Uh, and uh, I don't care for it. Reasonable minds can differ on this stuff. Maybe it's popular. Maybe a lot of people like it. But this is my channel, and that's my opinion on this kind of stuff. That's why I ask for yours, because I think it's interesting. Katie Cotton became a YouTube member. Fantastic. Still love the cast, Law Nerd. Um, so that's wonderful, Katie. I hope you enjoy your membership here. Thank you so much for supporting the channel. Mantha says, I always knew it was based on a fictional novel of Marilyn Monroe, so I wasn't expecting an eye-opener. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and that's, there's going to be different knowledge bases that people have when they interact with any of this stuff, right? Uh, also, why did Anna de Armas even agree to be part of the film? I think she wanted to act like Marilyn Monroe. T, thank you for the dollar super chat. I really appreciate it. If you did miss a message there, I know, I know the button sometimes get lost. I'll, I'll try to look for it. Uh, oh my God, I hated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I fell asleep at the Sibina. I don't think it's... I don't think it's Tarantino's best work, certainly. Promoting sporting and cultural events at all levels and is responsible for approving grants. The grants or events are small scale and large events. Okay. We don't have a minister of sport here. So that's that's interesting. Appreciate it. 
Monroe or not, the way the article reads is screw everything and everyone. This is simple, what they want to do, and it is so rude and inconsiderate. I tend to agree that it comes across that way. Uh, somehow this convo magically started after I finished morning drop-off. It made my stomach hurt. Sounds like he wanted to write a less hopeful version of Wrist Cutters, a love story with a real person. I do not know that movie. But just from the title, that sounds harrowing. Uh, the culture secretary will, for example, be heavily involved in the latest football drama where top teams are trying to leave the UK league and create a world league. Very unpopular among fans. Oh, yeah, I almost covered that uh, in, in virtual legality because it was wild. Wild. Uh, this is wrong on so many levels. JFK wasn't perfect, but he has already been accused of being the reason she killed herself. Now this guy is making it look like there is proof. Uh, we got more Minister of Sports clarifications. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Once Upon a Time ended with the Cielo Drive murders ending a lot happier than they did in real life. Indeed. It's a better feeling to walk away with of what if this had happened wish. Yes, that is that is the purpose of that. <laughs> that's why it's got the Once Upon a Time title. Uh, but whether or not that's okay when real people died, uh, reasonable minds can differ. Reasonable minds can differ. Uh, whoa, I can tell Secret McSquirrel is here when the bots are shut down quick. That's right. She's the best. Thank you so much, Secret McSquirrel, for handling that. Uh, hey, Hogue, can I call you and co-counsel my friends? I always, I always recommend caution with calling people friends that you know just on streaming or on videos or whatnot. But I certainly feel very fondly for everybody in chat that reaches out every morning, that sends me DMs. I got so, so many DMs. I got so many, I got so many messages uh, when the CMA called for public comment on the Microsoft Activision transaction yesterday uh, and people saying they were going to send in clips of my videos. It's, it's, it's really nice. I really appreciate it. Um, so you can call me whatever you like. Uh, but certainly... I, I've had enough interactions with people uh, online uh, that uh, that become a little bit fraught that I always recommend a little bit of caution. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, folks. <laughs> Co-counsel's like, what kind of answer was that? Oh, okay. I recommend caution. I want people to feel safe. It's I'm an optimist. I'm a nice guy. People call me a Care Bear or Samwise or whatever. I know that I'm the same way off stream, but I don't want to normalize calling people friends that stream on YouTube or that stream on Twitch or Facebook gaming because I know enough of them are not great offline, right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, just, 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 you know, just be careful. Uh, Abigail Korfman, sorry, the four-year-old made me hit the send button. I was saying my friends-in-law, or is that reserved for people who are married to your actual friends? You know, I've never used friends-in-law. I like friends-in-law because it's a law channel. So it all kind of works together. Casual Friday, making up terms. I love it. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So many people I've heard saying I never knew that about Marilyn after seeing this movie. Also about 98% of comments I've read about the Royals believe the crown is basically a documentary. I think they present it as such. I, I don't want to just sit here and blame the idiots in the in the public for this kind of thing. I do not think that some of these, um, Blonde is maybe a little bit better at presenting as weird and different than The Crown. I don't think that some of these shows and movies actually establish that they aren't real, right? Nin Girl is making me say things. Wood Daddy, which of course is Lawn Lumber, Rob. Leather Daddy, who if you see... Every basic day on Twitter is making new leather goods. That's Ian Runkle, Runkle the Bailey. Gamer Daddy. I definitely talk a lot about games here. Thank you so much, Dingal 1994 Crying laughing emoji. I appreciate the super chat and the channel support. 
that felt like such a dad response. I am a dad, folks. Be careful because of the air. Be careful of the internet and who you call friends. <laughs> Laughing emoji heart. Well, it's it's interesting, right? Because I feel I fully believe I am who I represent myself to be. I'm online enough that I don't have a lot of time to be somebody different. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't want people to get burned, right? I don't want people to get in situations that they're uncomfortable with or those kinds of things. So I am no one to tell you what you could call me, but just be careful out there. Just be careful out there, friends. Absolutely. The crown started off a lot more accurate. That's what I've heard. Uh, okay. Uh, I think that's about it for today's Casual Friday. I absolutely despise the answers in that article. I don't care about her, Marilyn Monroe, at all. I'm just use, using whatever I want to send the message I want. Yep, it does sound like that, doesn't it? All right, folks. It's been a wonderful Casual Friday. Thank you so much for the conversations. I am not positive I'll get a virtual legality out today, but I do have plans for one, so we'll see if that happens. I very much appreciate all the support for the channel with super chats and likes and subscribes and engagement on the comments. You guys are fantastic, and I'm super excited for the future here. Uh, do note, we have Lawyers and Dragons tomorrow. We are back to the campaign. I suspect now that we don't have random members of our party in the emergency room uh, that we're going to get to some really big stuff. So tomorrow is not one that you're going to want to miss. Share that around. I'll try to put that in the tweet when I set up the the place card for the show. Uh, but tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, I suspect we got big, big stuff happening. Um, so get excited for that. Uh, otherwise, you can see me on the BitCast on Season Gaming on Sunday. And then right back here on Monday for more Hangouts and Headlines. If you have good article ideas, if you have good things that you think we should be talking about here, good poll options, you can see Factual really won this poll here today, um, then let me know. I love to get your DMs. I love to get your messages. Folks, if I don't respond to you, I am sorry in advance. I am getting hundreds now every day, some of which are unkind, but many of which are not. Uh, so please do leave those messages. I always check them. Leave a like on your way out. And thank you so much for hanging out with me. Have a great, great weekend, everybody. And I'll see you.